0: If you are talking to your friends in your network, you know, or colleagues, you might find out about that job before it's even up. So it's always worth reaching out to your network and saying, I'm looking, or do you know anything? I, we worked with uh, the client I mentioned before, the one that we wanted to leave a job uh, after 20 years. He had an excellent network. And the first uh, six emails that he sent off to his network to say, I'm looking for something out of those six, four of them replied saying hang on let's have a call and then he got and then two of them had leads and then from that he had interviews in some jobs that weren't even up yet so it's possible for sure
1: Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help you navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search so you can change careers with confidence. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome Dina Grishan to the podcast. Dina is a life and career coach based in London, coaching worldwide, and after navigating herself out of a quarter-life crisis, which saw her changing jobs every year to find her calling, Dina now helps others who are stuck get clarity on their dream job and figure out how to get there. Today, we discuss how to navigate a quarter-life crisis, how to shift from passions to interests in our job search, how to shift from passions to interests in our job search, and what hidden details you need to know about the hiring process to get an edge up on the competition and find the right role for you. Thank you for tuning into this episode and supporting the show. Please like, subscribe, share, and enjoy this conversation with Dina Grisham. All right, Dina, I, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, you know, there's this word that I, I love that you use in, in your work of crisis. And I think uh, we were chatting before the call here about how a lot of people don't tend to reach out to a coach or reach out for help until things are already in crisis, And I think that's a really interesting place for us to start today, because when it comes to um, getting help, sometimes trying to fix things or navigate something new while everything is sort of at its worst point can be pretty tough. Right. Um, you know, the best time to get a job, they say, or to look for a job is when you already have a job but that's not typically when people reach out for help, right? They reach out when they're like, I needed a job three months ago. I'm stressed. Yeah. I'm going broke. Everything is, or Everything's in a rough spot. Um, so what do you typically see with your clients when it comes to the different types of career crises that arise? Mm-hmm. Like what are the different signs or, um, you know, variations in in crises that you see with people that you
0: work with? Yes, very good question. And also, thank you for having me on this podcast. Thank you for being here. And really happy to be here. So it, it depends on the person as well and like how they are with crises. Um, I am quite dramatic and vocal and open. So when I was having my quarter-life crisis, I was like, oh my God, this is an extent, existential crisis. I am like, <laughs> I'm in doomland. I'm at rock bottom every single six months. Uh, so that was me and I was quite vocal. So I do hear people being like, you know, um, really vocalizing how they're so lost and they don't know what they're doing and everything's kind of falling apart. Uh, There's those kind of people and that kind of crisis. And then there's another one, which is a more quiet and a subtle one. And it's when people uh, are bored, they don't feel like they're developing and they feel like it's the same old and the same old. And that crisis is almost a little bit um, worse for them because Nothing might be like acutely wrong. Their company can be taking care of them. They go on holidays, you know, they have a partner or something, but it's just that their days are like full of boredom and there is a distinct lack of growth and excitement, but they're comfortable. So it makes it really hard to make that change because saying goodbye to comfort is, is hard. And, you know, I feel for them as well. I yeah. get those
1: kind of voices. I love that. I love the breakdown there because there's the the golden handcuff sort of piece, right? It's like things aren't terrible, but I'm not in a good spot. And I think what's so interesting about our careers and our lives and how interwoven they are um, is that you know, whenever I'm working with people, I'm I'm always keeping an ear open to being like, is this actually a problem with your job? Or is this a problem with your life? Or is this just a way that you're thinking about things, right? Because um, mm-hmm. not everyone needs to change jobs necessarily, or I'll see people, they'll work with me, they will get a new job. And then six months later, they're in the same spot in the new job, because it wasn't mm-hmm. the job that was the problem. It's how they're thinking about the interaction of their life, their job, and and how it all kind of goes together. Um, <laughs> what is What have you sort of seen? Like, Is it when it comes to that, like sense of malaise, let's say, <laughs> um, what are the different combinations um, of like life and job and the overlap, and how we can maybe take a step back because maybe we put too much blame on any one thing. What are what are maybe some of the different things that we can do to get perspective on our problems when we feel like we're stuck or or bored or overwhelmed in these different situations.
0: Mm. Um, being completely biased I would say coaching is a great one <laughs> for this perspective for sure because yeah there's nothing quite replaces having like you know an hour call where there is undivided attention on you and someone getting to know you really well and someone who isn't like you know friend family or colleague and they can just start questioning the subtleties of how you're thinking it's I mean I love getting coached myself So I think that is for sure. The other one that is super, super powerful is stories, like learning from other people's stories and be that in groups uh, like what you provide with group coaching or just through workshops. Um, I think one of the reasons my my quarter life crisis uh, webinar that you found as well is so uh, useful is because I share my. Um, experience of my whole life crisis and I give concrete examples and I also uh, let people in how I was thinking and feeling and when people connect and they're like oh my god that is me as well they can then place themselves on where I was in my timeline and then see what I did next or how I looked at the situation differently and how I acted and that gives them real like inspiration and thinking oh okay yeah me too. I've got a toxic boss, and that's what you did. You actually didn't see it as a as a toxic boss. You were like, this was a sign for me that I needed to leave the company. That's all it was. <laughs> it was like the you universe know, coming down and being like, you have outgrown this job. It's too comfortable. You need to leave. Otherwise, I would have stayed in that company because it was quite cushy forever and ever. But then I got a horrible boss and that was a gift,
1: <laughs> right? A horrible boss can be a gift. That's such a great way to look at it. Um, and I do want to dig a little bit into your story and, and your experience, because it's, it is such an interesting thing to have those inflection points in your career. And you were, you were chatting again before the call about like how you started coaching before there was a problem. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we wait until the world's on fire before we reach out for help. That's kind of the, 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 you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps way. Right. And, and so, um, what was it, what was your early experience with coaching when things were actually not, not in you know peril? What, what was that like? And was it, how, how was it helpful and how was it different than when things were actually, you know, when fires were starting up, like, what was that transition? How did it look?
0: Yes. Um, well, I'll, yeah, I'll gladly share the experience that I had. Uh, I, hired a coach, someone that I had already worked with before, um, because I was work. everything was really, really good. I'd, I was in my dream job, which was, I was head of coaching for this startup, this career accelerator program, and I was coaching creatives day in, day out. I also had my own coaching team. I was doing workshops. I was coaching at events, literally my dream job. And so I, because things were good, I wanted to get coached and develop further and develop kind of my leadership. Um, And also I just love the experience of being coached because you never know your blind spots. And that was a nice experience because I am an absolute, SWOT and a teacher's pet i'm also going to get my money's worth so i had notes i started up a document which i shared with my coach It was all my own initiative and i i put in before our session the focus of the session i did write-ups i could really reflect and have time to do kind of the homework in between so lovely we grew i always had something to talk about and then suddenly the company i was at you know started making redundancies and so the conversations went from how to become a great leader to What does self-employed life look like? How do I view myself as a self-employed coach? A kind of what invisible barriers am I putting up with myself Um, and all of that. And it was so good to have someone there when suddenly I was like panicking and she, because she knew me, she could remind me of my strengths. And also, you know, step into a bit of a mentoring relationship, which I did value at that time so well. Um, so then with crisis coaching became a lot more frequent (laughs) because things were changing every single week but it was so amazing to have someone on your team like someone there who's going to see you through that crisis and who doesn't see it as a crisis and sees it as an opportunity and who's been there themselves as well I think that's really important kind of when looking for a coach or looking for any or a mentor or anyone you want to pick someone who's been there and has like that wisdom and experience that you get from having lived through redundancies being self-employed and the rest of that yeah that was my
1: experience that's awesome and when it comes to like that identity shift it is so cool that you had someone who already knew you right before Mm -hmm. the crisis arose because I think sometimes when we are in the middle of that shift when we're like okay everything needs to change I need to get my life on track we go through an identity crisis and I see this all the time with people where they're like I, I know this isn't right, I don't know what is. So here's the 50 different options that I've just come up with off the top of my head of what my life could look like. And then we go into like dream world for a little bit and have to bring it back to reality, right? And it is almost this, um, and I talk about identity a lot on this podcast because I do think that the way that the world is set up right now, our career identity is so, we spend so much time at work that it just gets so interwoven with our personal identity i prefer that not to be the case for more people, but it is the case for most people. And so, um, in your shift here, you know, you went from, I think like, there's a lot of talk online of you're either an entrepreneur or you're a nine to fiver and everything gets like put into these sort of this or that binary categories. And you're a prime example of someone who's like, no, I was crushing it in my nine to five and I'm crushing it as an entrepreneur. And that shift is something that I had to navigate and come to terms with, but you did it with help. And so what was that identity shift like for you? Was it a difficult one or was it fairly like fluid because you were already putting in that work?
0: Really good question. Um, that really good question Because and that's something I do work with, with my clients as well. Uh, and when I kind of uh, talk about what I do, I say, you can find your dream job in a nine to five and working for yourself. It's not an either or, you're not like a born entrepreneur or a born manager or something like that. Um, in it, we're talking about identity. For me, I'm quite actually a visual person. I remember my coach saying, picture yourself as you know, a self-employed person. And I couldn't picture myself. And then she said, picture yourself as a professional coach. And what came to mind when I said professional coach, I had this image of me in a corporate suit uh, and, you know, coaching C, you know, C-suite uh, executives, all of that, and I did not connect that image. I was like, that's not me, and therefore I cannot be self-employed, because we all have these images of what it is to be a professional self-employed or successful, and then we just played with the wording a little bit, and she said, okay, picture yourself as a creative entrepreneur, and then, boom, I connected. I was like, oh, okay, so I don't have a uniform. I can be creative. I can work with creative brands and organizations. And that suddenly I got an image of what I was going to be like and how I would show up. So I think imagery is really important, or at least dissecting and pulling back what image or visual you have in your head of, say, nine-to-five life or entrepreneur life. Actually, there was a lady I was uh, coaching who had always been in in more creative industries and, you know, worked and worked in contracts, worked for herself. And she was going through a transition period. And during that time she needed some stability. So she was like, I got a, you know, nine to my nightmare situation, which was a nine to five job. I thought I was never meant for the corporate life or nine to five, but someone said, there's a good job going there. And I went for it. And actually that was one of the best jobs I had because they had boundaries, <laughs> they had a great uh, culture um, and all the rest. So sometimes we have an image of what um, an organization or life is like, and it's not based on truth. So I think you know, part of our job as coaches is to really unpick what is behind that, you know, that, uh, that assumption or what image our clients have.
1: Yeah, That's such a great point because it, it really is true. We have these, you um, movies in our mind right we have these and a lot of times it is based on movies it's like I'll talk to people and they'll be like oh I want to be a lawyer I'm like do you actually want to be a lawyer did you just watch Suits recently and they're like no I want to be in advertising I'm like do you actually like advertising or did you just watch Mad Men like and and sometimes I you know a big piece of what I do is I try and get people away from like websites that are trying to push you into things like oh you should be a web developer because they make a lot of money and now go sign up for this program and like pay all this money and then all of a sudden halfway through they don't want to do it anymore. And I'm always like if you don't if you haven't met people who are actually doing the job, like real people who are in it on a daily basis, you probably don't have a clear image or a realistic image in your mind of what it is. I remember when I first started getting into coaching And I thought it was kind of gross. I was like, I don't know about this coaching thing.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) I was was like, yeah, we want these sales
1: people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm a marketer. That's a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) And I went (laughs) and talked to a bunch of coaches and I'm like, Oh wait, I get along with you. Like you're, you're a chill person. And, uh, and the same thing when I started getting into like, I'm going to be going back to school to become a therapist. And I'm like, Oh, like I can actually go see what they look like. And like, hear them complain about their work and like hear them be excited about their work and like get the full picture. And that really getting that full picture is such an important piece, because like you said, with the woman you coached, like she was like, I'm not a nine to fiver. And I hear that all the time from people. And I'm like, are you not a nine to fiver? Or did you just have one bad experience at one company? Cause there's thousands of different companies. Right. Um, and I always think that that ability to be a chameleon and go back and forth between things is probably one of the best strengths for someone's career, because then you're always finding opportunities. And it almost reminds me of something I talked about once, where it's like, instead of going from employed to unemployed, because unemployed is such a terrible identity to put on, it's like go from unemployed to self-employed, and then maybe back to, or sorry, not unemployed, go from employed to self-employed. And then if you want to go back to a nine to five, go back to Employed. And then you can like play around with those different identities. But what are some exercises that you maybe lead people through? Maybe it's networking, maybe it's like, you know, vision boarding. I don't know what your process is, but like, what are some of the things that you've done to help people get a more realistic picture of Mm -hmm. who they are today and who they could be in the future? Because I don't, I think we struggle with the the image of the future, but we also struggle with the image of today. And if we don't believe that we can do it, how are we going to convince other people? that we can do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. how do you sort of help people get out of their insecurities and into something that's more realistic around
0: their mm-hmm. career? Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, what you just touched upon is so uh, truth narrative. Like we have to first of all, uh, have a story or narrative about what happened and who we are, that we identify with and we're proud of before we go out into the open world. Um, because using your network is so useful. There's there's so many jobs out there that are within the network that people just know about that aren't on the jobs boards yet. So utilizing your network is really useful. However, people are scared of using their network because they don't know what they're asking for. And to know what they're asking for, they need to then kind of have a debrief of what's been, uh, as you've pointed out, like clear out, was it just one situation that happened in this job that's put you off this career, or was it multiple? So I do have a process, <laughs> I like step by step, because what I heard someone, um, this was a webinar I was on, um, where they said career coaching is very different from any other coaching out there. With uh, leadership or any other coaching, that people come in, they know what they're working on. They said, uh, "They say I want to achieve this goal. I want to move countries. I want to, you know, start my own company. Things like that." But within career coaching, they don't know what they want. they just say, "I don't think I want this. I want something else." Go. <laughs> so it's completely different kind of coaching. So you, I find it really helps to have a process. So we start off with the things, the pillars, the clarity pillars I have are we look at their strengths. Their values and their interests. Uh, and right at the beginning, I start off with getting uh, their life story. So I get, get to know them and their life story you know, when they went to uni, where they went to uni, their parents, what they did, that their, um, their first job, second jobs, how often they changed jobs, the reasons why they changed jobs. That first session. Which is a big one, and we go into detail is' so so useful um because I can see decision making, I can see the influences um of like of my clients that is really useful and then we go on to strengths because i I don't know about you I think you probably have this as well your clients people just can't talk about their strengths they think they're being big headed showing off, being arrogant, and you really have to I make my clients work and say, you know look in the past, what were you, what did you get from this job? what are you good at and remind them also soft skills people skills are some of the most useful and are your strengths right you know something. a lot of things can be taught you can teach people so many things uh, right now but your soft skills um aren't taught they're developed over time so strength is a big one so they get reminded of who they are um and and as we're working through this we're building up a narrative of why they made their choices and what has come up uh, what has come Benefits have come through with making those choices. The values is what's important to them, so that we know kind of it's a decision-making shortcut. These are values, and this is what we're going to be focusing on for next year or two. And then interests. So I, we look at their interests rather than their passion or their purpose. Because I find I asking someone what their purpose is is such a big question that it shuts down thinking completely. They're like, they, <laughs> then they answer like, oh, world peace, of course, you know. <laughs> like something big that sounds like really good and, and noble um so I don't put that pressure on my clients I also don't uh ask about passion because I remember when I was trying to navigate my course life crisis and I went to so many workshops about you know, finding uh, out what you want to do or you know career change ones and whenever they said they we do like a group exercise and they say okay so write down your passions and I go absolutely blank and I'd be like well if I knew what I was passionate about then you know i'd be doing it and you write things like i don't know food fun friends travel like all the things that everyone else is probably passionate about and you think how am i making a career out of that so not passion not purpose interests right? no pressure just what your interests are and then you know we kind of go on a uh, hypothesis like well let's run with a few things and that's so that's kind of my process and then we run with a few things and as they're taking action and networking and uh really kind of talking to people it will come through what they're more more, most passionate about and uh they've got questions to ask their network um so then they get a realistic perspective or some some hypotheses that they're testing of being you know x or y uh get struck off because they spoke to someone they're like oh no that sounds awful (laughs) i'm not going to make that career change so that is my process
1: I love it. And there's so many pieces in there that I want to dig into. Uh, the first one is the soft skills piece that you talked about. So um, you're hundred percent right. Like people really struggle to call out their strengths. And whenever I ask people what their strengths and weaknesses are, you always get the generic answers. Like, well, I love solving problems. And my joke is always back to the like cool do you want to walk a dog like someone's dog because that solves a problem and they're like no i solve these problems and i'm like all right now we're getting somewhere let's get specific right because that's what a job is a job is just solving a problem like <laughs> that's every job um and i really appreciate that you talked about interests over passion and purpose because aside from those things just being overused on the internet it really does shut people down and i think to the point of you know the topic of our episode today When you're in a crisis, it's hard to also like find your passion. I love how we're like, not only should you find a job, which is difficult enough, but you should find a job that has a purpose and that you're passionate about and that you'll never not like, and that you'll never have a bad day. And every day your head should pop off the pillow. And if it's not, then you're failing. And like all this Mm -hmm. stuff, it's like, no, just, can you be slightly interested in it more than something else? And The interest piece I really like because for some reason, there's this sort of mentality that gets put in us somehow throughout our life and our careers where if we're not like in pain at work, we're not doing it right. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people have this sort of view that like, if I enjoy what I'm doing and it comes easy to me, then I'm not working hard enough. And, Mm. and I'm not sure what, you know, I'm sure there's like a ton of psychology behind that, that we could dig into, but there's this sort of, when I'll ask someone, I'll be like, so what do you, what are your interests? And they'll be like, oh, I really like sports or I really like music or I really like history or whatever the thing might be. And there's of course tech companies that focus on all of those things that they could potentially work at, but they're like, no, I probably should go into like a financial company because. I don't like finance. And if I, if it feels like I'm struggling, then I'm doing a good job. (laughs) You don't have to feel like you're struggling. Uh, So I really appreciate you talking about those interest pieces. What are different interests that you've seen people share? Uh, You know, what's, what's maybe, because when there's so much around the passion and the purpose stuff that everyone's out there, like, you know, every company is saving the world. Every person is trying to change. My joke is always like, don't try to change the world. If your customer service is terrible, like just get good at customer service. <laughs> like, So what's the, what's an example of like some interests that you've helped people discover so that people can maybe have a more practical view of the difference between an interest and like this passion purpose stuff.
0: Absolutely. I'll get to that question. I just want to rewind what mm-hmm. you said earlier, because I think it was so just useful to mention how jobs feel and how we make them feel. Um, and I think people sometimes don't let themselves go for something that feels easy. And I see this a lot with my creative clients. And um, one like self-employed photographers or anyone kind of within the creative sphere. Um, I've coached uh, artists as well. What happens is they end up not charging much or at all when they start because they think, well, this came easy to me. so. I can't possibly charge, like this was just a pure pleasure for me to do. So I can't charge, it's okay. Or they'll charge really low. And it's because I think when we've grown up with from our parents, uh, or maybe also from from movies, what we saw a lot was this uh, story, this narrative of, you know, someone who comes home and the man or the woman comes home from work and they're like, exhausted they like plonk on the sofa like Homer Simpson's are plonk on the sofa you know absolutely can't do anything else and like work has tired them out so that goes into our subconscious as a kind of a criteria that we should go for we should be working ourselves to the bone and be exhausted at the end of the day that means we're doing honest day's work if it's easy if we've got energy left over we must be doing something wrong And so I think that narrative goes in in terms of how work feels. And it it was such a good point that you brought up because I think it is worth talking about how work feels. And we can let it be easy, but we have this guilt. That comes up and that's the work we should be working on within our coaching the feelings around you know letting it be easy the guilt and everything else like that but in terms of interest i've had i've had some all over the board i had it, a couple of, yeah last year or the year before was one of the pandemic years and they all merged into one <laughs> i had um the clients i was working with who'd been in their industry for 20 years and so they were like i wh- what do i know like, uh, what good am I to anyone? And so we, I spent a long time, you know, getting to know them and seeing what their strengths are. And then their interest was literally, uh, with one. I remember, was interior design. And I could see on, on his Instagram, he just, what he appreciated, because he traveled quite a lot, like, you know, hotel interior design and other things. He just put that up. And, you know, when I asked about that, you know, how about working with somewhere within design? You know, he dismissed it because he's like, well, I'm not creative. I have never created anything. Again, dismissing those avenue parts. I was like well you don't need to you can bring in your strength and your amazing experience of you know two decades of doing the, this kind of job brand partnerships into the design world like that easy thing. Um, kind of other interests personal development I'm hearing a lot as well people say I've got this interest in psychology therefore I must do a psychology degree that's something that I always hear you know I've got this interest so I need to do a degree and I'm like and then what? <laughs> first of all tell me what elements do you like of it you know you could be working for a personal development company or training company I'll tell you I had one um so one client came to me and she was like that she she was a manager um working within marketing and she really she noticed that she wasn't she wasn't as interested in marketing and she was more more interested in her team and developing her team and so she thought well I have to get, I'm, I'm going to become a coach. I have to get um, some coach training. So she first came to me to, and asked me to help her navigate which coach training to go for. And I was like, well, before we do that, let me just sit down and just kind of unpick the reasons and see what you think about, you know, coaching. Um, and actually turned out, I was like, well, look, we. I work with some clients for three months, maybe six months. Um, Cause I remember her saying that she really liked seeing people develop and seeing how, You know, they didn't have courage and then they stuck their hand up in a meeting room and other things like that, like really tracking kind of and seeing and being witness to their development. I was like, I don't see any of that, by the way, as a coach, (laughs) we talk, but what they're like in that boardroom, and that meeting room, I don't see any of that. So you're not going to see the very thing that makes you happy. How do you feel about that? And she was like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that, you know. So actually what it turned out is, you know, I recommended her um, a training program and a book and like a whole approach that she could use as a manager. And she fell in love with it and, you know, did that. So sometimes the answer isn't doing a whole PhD in something that you're interested in. It's just seeing how you can work it into your, your everyday life and to the point that you brought up right at the beginning is sometimes you don't need to leave your job. You just need to bring in your interests,
1: We interrupt today's episode to let you know about Career Therapy's Unstuck Coaching Program. If you're feeling paralyzed by job search procrastination and unsure of what to do next in your career, we're here to help. Each month as a member, you will get access to two one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited virtual chat with your coach via Slack, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions, and lifetime access to our eight-part job search curriculum. Want to take your search to the next level? Head over to careertherapy.com and schedule a free 15-minute consultation to chat with me today and see if coaching is right for you. Now, back to our show. I appreciate you bringing up the guilt piece because I, I do think that that is something that that people struggle with so much. And there's almost like two threads we have going here and I'm like going to keep bouncing back and forth between them. Um, the What you were just saying there, it's like, you know, something doesn't feel right. We come up with an idea of what the answer could be. Then we make that an identity very quickly and start like trying to find like the next step, right. Without assessing it or putting that up, you know, against the sunlight and seeing if it's real. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm a huge fan of slow changes over time. Mm -hmm. Like kind of when I got into coaching, I resisted it quite a bit. I did like free coaching for like three years for people not even realizing I was coaching until someone called me a coach. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I had to like sit with it for a year. (laughs) I was like, am I, do I like this?
0: And I still did
1: like marketing consulting and like these other things. And, and I've been interested. I mean, I, my company is called career Therapy, so Clearly I've been interested in therapy Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And I'm only just now like making that transition. And I think I think sometimes everyone, like people, want everything all at once. They want their whole career, their whole life, every aspect of it—from their personal life to their relationships to their job—to everything to all change at the same time. Um, and you can see this in just like, all right, you want to change your your job. They're like, well, I want to change my title and my industry and work remote. And it's like you're changing everything about your job instead of like maybe just change the title first but stay in the same industry or maybe change the industry, but keep the same title, or maybe go remote with the same role in the same industry, and then build from there. And these incremental changes that actually lead to what I sort of see as a much longer term success or happiness or better outcome Mm -hmm. for people, rather than these like, fits and stops, like starts and stops where people Mm -hmm. are like, "Oh, I tried to be a lawyer, and that didn't work. Okay, now I'm going to And now I'm in debt and now I have to go (laughs) get this other job. And, you know, I think that sometimes that's um, maybe this pressure to like have the answer, but also this guilt that like we're not doing enough. And so we have to make some big, grand change. And I appreciate how you talked about, you know, the the slow process of like working with someone and maybe even working with them before they are under the pressure to make a decision so that you can think through these things before the deadline comes. And I was reading a book um, and in it, they said, your job is not actually your job. Your job is to get the next job in your career. And I thought that was such an interesting perspective on it because in order to get the next job, you should probably do a good job at your job. So it's not ignore your job or like be bad at your job. It's just, you should always be thinking about the next role and looking out for that next opportunity. And what that does is it keeps you from getting too bogged down in the day-to-day because you at least have like an antenna up saying like, there's going to be something else. If this is stressing me out, that's okay because there is another way to go and I will find it. And you have like that confidence in yourself because you've built that skill of job transitioning. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of bringing it back around well, I'm going to pause there. Do you have any, because th- <laughs> I'm, I'm like just going off on tangents here, but um, are there any thoughts that you have about that sort of long-term perspective versus short-term changes and how to maybe balance those two mindsets? Because we, we have to do both, right? But like, how can we contextualize that in a way that's healthy or beneficial or, or really doesn't, you know, stress people out?
0: Mm, really good. And I, I am the same as you. I like slow changes uh, over time, and it can be hard to keep reminding yourself that actually you do like it because you know you'll see on Instagram someone's like, and in two two years I'm a multi multi millionaire whatever shot to fame, but you know you don't then they're off your radar, and then in four years time you'll be burning you'll be buying their burnout problem. <laughs> yeah, so, so true. crack that, but uh, like slow change for sure and the reason i always question if someone's like i need to leave immediately what you were saying before is what they don't realize is that something's come up something unpleasant of feeling disappointment frustration or one of those unpleasant feelings and they just want the feeling to go away and therefore that's why that change has to come immediately but you know you it's like a band-aid you'll make the frustration go away but you, you'll get that again. I think the, the life lesson will come on, keep on repeating itself to you until you actually yeah. learn. So in that situation, what you have to do is maybe it's something else. It's actually training the skill, um, getting the skill of communicating your needs and asking your manager. Uh, and I work with clients a lot on that because they say, oh, my manager will never listen. Um, this will never happen. And I go, but that doesn't mean you don't try because this is, this is for you a whole lesson in communicating and finding a way to maybe get your manager to listen. If they don't, that's fine, but you've, you've at least tried, and then you can go on and find a job, but you do have to build that skill. So everything is an opportunity. Um, and I do like what you said about keeping an eye out on another job. Um, some people say not, you know, I think there's a Will Smith quote that says, don't have a plan B because that will distract you from plan A. Uh, And that might be right for him, but I think the world of work, it's always good to, I've still got my LinkedIn on and I still look there for my clients, but also for myself because there's so many new exciting companies that are being like um, sprouting up everywhere. And so, yeah, there are opportunities. And I think if you do keep an eye out on other places, you'll see opportunities or you'll see, yeah, um opportunities to collaborate not even you know jump ship for example but it's good to be aware of kind of your environment and see what's out there so i I am with that one sure well
1: and i appreciate you bringing up that like no plan b piece because that that is like um one of those uh, phrases that gets repeated a lot and i think in in the case of will smith is an interesting example um you know, despite all the recent controversy, (laughs) uh, which we will just gloss over. But, um, but like, even Will Smith, like, you know, he was a rapper, but he was like keeping an ear open for acting roles. And then when he was an actor, he was keeping an ear open for movie roles. And then when he was an action star, he was keeping an ear open for dramatic roles. And then when he was in dramatic roles, he was keeping an ear open for Potentially Oscar-winning roles, and then he slapped someone. But anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, clearly a stressed out, a stressful lifestyle that they live. Um, but there's this other idea that kind of pops up here of like using some of these um, moves to avoid things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I tend to, you know, people get really worried about their skill set, like you mentioned earlier, and you talked about soft skills being the most useful strength sometimes. And I, the way I look at that, because I work with people who are doing big career transitions, like from teacher to coder or from musician mm-hmm. to UX designer, flip those two, mm-hmm. it's usually teacher to UX and anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they tend, when they go out into the market, they're really worried that they don't have the technical skills
0: mm-hmm. and that
1: they're not going to get the job because they don't have the technical skills. And I have to keep reminding them that the majority of your job is just not being a crappy employee. And then mm-hmm. you, with enough time and access to Google, can you look up these things and figure it out? Like, especially cybersecurity. Like, whenever I'm talking, whenever I do an alumni event with cybersecurity students, they're all like, "I don't, I don't think I'm, you know, technically good enough." And every single alumni is just like, "Dude, the senior people are still googling stuff. Like, it changes so quickly. <laughs> we have no idea what's happening." And um, <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. And 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 one of the things it's like, are you just going to be Like, are you going to make everyone else around you, are you going to make that project hell while you're Googling things? Or are you going to make it easy and flow well while you're Googling things? (laughs) Like, I like to just think of it that way. Um, And what I tend to see is people, um, when they're scared about those technical lackings, they reach out for school or education or certification or anything like that. And I've seen people get into this mode of like, what I like to call productive procrastination. Mm. I'm going to go get another degree and another boot camp and another certification. And 10 years later, they're still getting education and they've never had a job. And I tend to tell people like, um, can you do this job in like a micro setting? Can you do like a, a sprint of it? Or can you do a small entrepreneurial project or a volunteer project or something just to see if you like it, if you're good at it, like when I think back to the early days of my coaching, before I even understood that I was coaching, I would just meet up with people. I would just hang out, like I'd go to a meetup, a marketing meetup. And then afterward, I would sit and talk with someone about their career for like three hours, just because I thought Mm. it was fascinating. And then I'd be at work and my boss would open up to me about all the things that she's struggling with work. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is a conversation we should be having, but let's go, whatever. And like, you know, just realizing like, oh, wait a second. Like if I'm just If I do those things already and I can, if I formalize it and, and put it into a structure, then it can actually become something real, like giving yourself that opportunity. Let's say you want to be a designer instead of going back to school to get a design degree, like create one logo for one small business somewhere Mm -hmm. and see how it goes. Like maybe it doesn't go well. And then you can like bypass that whole expenditure. Um, but what other ways do you see people, avoiding, um, the things that they should be doing. Cause there's a lot of shoulds out there. Right. And people know that they should be doing a lot of things, but then they get stuck in this sort of maybe avoidance cycle. Um, are there any, like, are there any things that you've seen people do that kind of increase their avoidance or have you seen anything that's helped people stop avoiding things and start confronting and, and dealing with what they need to work on? hmm
0: um, one of the most common avoidance things I've seen is going on holiday. <laughs> That's when people are in a job that they don't like, you know, they'll get to this period where they're like, oh, my God, I can't stand it. And then the holiday comes up or or it's a company summer party and they get you know lavished with free drinks and free everything. And then for a while, their frustration abates and it's absolutely fine when well, they go on holiday and they're relaxed they're like this is just great and so that is one common avoidance tactic of jumping from uh, relief uh, activities that bring relief holidays going away or, or parties or something like that that is an avoidance I'd say um, I love what you said about kind of creative Uh, procrastination because my coach called me out I did that a lot I used to go on workshops and read books and just fill up my diary with uh, learning and then he was like you're gonna have to move into the doing and that was scary and I was like but I just need one more thing to do and that the going into the doing is the scariest thing um and so people do put it off until especially with those who are transitioning from full-time employment to say self-employed um putting off the website that becomes like a big focus now I haven't I can't do anything that website or I need to do my blur first or something else like that so they they always have something that they have to do for us and get perfect before they go out into the world. But it is, um, what I do is I push them out early. There was someone who I, one of the tactics I used to mean, that, this is pre-COVID, so this was out in the real world. Um, I say, when they have become what they are doing, like they're in the early stages, uh, I say, print out a, make a business card of it. Um, and go to a networking event that you don't even care about. It doesn't have to be in your sector. It can be completely different and start, you know, introducing yourself as that person, as a designer, and giving out your business card. You know, you don't have to have a business card. It makes it a little bit more real, but um, introducing yourself as that person and seeing how it feels. So this is obviously going back to our identity piece, but making it real, like saying out loud, yeah, I'm a designer uh, and I can probably help you. Things like that. So it is scary going to networking events, but I find them the best thing ever. Uh, And a lot of the time in the end, once people have done it, gone out, put themselves outside their comfort zone, spoken to a stranger, they realize it's not as painful as they thought it was going to be. And people are
1: nice. <laughs> people are way nicer than you give them credit for sure. Yeah. Especially when in the networking thing, people are so scared of networking. And I used to be, but it's like, it's so funny when you look back and even the bad experiences where it was like an awkward conversation or like, I didn't know what to say. And I blinked. like even those conversations, I reach back out to those people years later and they either don't remember it or they never Mm. even noticed it in the first place. Um, Mm -hmm. I always like tell this story about how I ordered hot chocolate at Starbucks because I didn't understand what coffee was. And in my head, I was like, I'm screwing up my career. And the other person like didn't even notice. And so Mm. like, oh, to be in college again. And so, (laughs) uh, but you're saying so many things. And like, one thing in particular is that owning the title, owning the title before you have someone else put it on you, I think is also- Mm -hmm important. I I work with a lot of people who are in boot camps, and they're like, I'm an aspiring cybersecurity professional. I'm an aspiring UX designer. I'm an aspiring, or I'm working, I'm trying to break into the UX industry. I'm like, you're not aspiring to anything. You're in the class. You're already in the industry. Like the first step is to learn the skill. Everyone's first step is to learn the skill. And if you're learning the skill, you're already the thing, you're the lowest tier of that thing. And you're in the education phase but you're in the phase you're in mm-hmm. step one mm-hmm. and so trying to get people to actually be like i am a cybersecurity professional i am a designer it's like if you've designed one thing you're technically a designer keep designing keep improving <laughs> but like yeah, yeah. own the name in the short term um because if we don't own it how are we going to sell it right like how and you see companies do this all the time right they don't even have a product that they've built but they start advertising it to see if there's any interest in it, and if there's enough interest, then they go build it. But they won't build it if there's not that initial interest. And so sometimes we have to do that. We have to take those marketing and sales tactics and put them into play for ourselves. Or, you know, maybe it's fake it till you make it. Maybe it's whatever. But it's we have to sort of lead with some confidence to instill that confidence. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's you know dropping that aspiring is huge. And you also mentioned from a mental perspective, um, when we're in a job and, and we take that vacation or something, there's, there's two points I want to make here. One is I see people come back from vacation all the time and they expect it to have an epiphany or they go travel (laughs) the world and they expect an epiphany and they come back and they're like, I didn't have my epiphany. And they're like, really (laughs) upset about it. And I'm like, well, of course not. Because you were just like focused on making it to the bus or making it to the beach or making it to like, like where's the time? Like epiphanies happen, like you said, when we get into the doing, when we do something and we get real feedback from that thing, that's where the epiphanies happen. Not from being in Europe for some random, or I mean, you're in Europe, not coming to America anyway. But like those, those are just, that's just a funny aside. But um, even deeper than that, you talked about how like one good day, like that day where you um, have drinks with your company and the frustration abates Mm -hmm. that reminds me um, I was having a conversation with a therapist recently about toxic relationships and how like the baseline of the relationship can be awful, but you have one really good day or you go on vacation and have like a few good days. And those few good days put like a kind of a pin in hope up here that someday all days will be like that. And then we Mm -hmm. stop looking for the other opportunities and we, that's how people can get stuck in toxic situations. And I think careers and relationships are very similar in, in a lot of ways. And one of them is that like, well, I had that one really good meeting. So this job's not so bad. And then three Mm -hmm. months later, they're like, this job is the worst thing ever. I should have been been searching this whole time. Um, What have you sort of seen as like telltale signs of a toxic environment that people should be paying attention to so that they don't hit the point of crisis or they can like be ready when the crisis comes, let's say.
0: The mm. ones, just to say everything you always say, I'm like, oh my God, what?
1: <laughs> you, go, you go,
0: you <laughs> go. But then I forget until you ask me the last question. But in terms of telltale signs, the the company culture and that is in does your boss have time for you there's so many clients i've been coaching recently who have problems or have been hired and just you know thrown into the deep end uh, and this is actually something i look out for in job descriptions when you know we're looking we're dissecting them with my clients is when they say someone who can hit the ground running and you know, sometimes it's a good thing. Other times they're like, we are so, that it's codeful, like we are so short staffed that we will not have time to you know, onboard you or train you. You'll just be figuring it out as you go along. Uh, that could be exciting, but in nowadays when we're remote working or hybrid working, you won't have some colleague in your office. You might not be in an office to have someone to just ask uh, for help with. So you'll be in your own room or co-working space Going through hell trying to be like, what did they ask me to do? Where is that folder? And then your boss is too busy to make time for you to explain that. I'm seeing that a lot. So if someone's really busy, um, and just doesn't have time for you, how's that going to change? If they, if the leadership is like that, then they don't believe in hiring enough people so that you can cope. That is, I think, one of the biggest telltale signs that I'm seeing a lot of for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's huge. And it's, it's tough to figure that out too, because the hiring process is so messy and there's so many, it's like hiring by committee and there's so many interviews now and they take Mm -hmm. weeks to get back to you in between. Like if sometimes people are like, well, if they don't respond within 24 hours, then I'm not going to keep going with the process. I'm like, boy, we're never going to get an interview. <laughs> like, like like every single company takes like a week to get back to you. Um, and then there's like the outliers that are amazing. But I do think that that's, again, where we come back to that networking piece. Like the best way to find out what a culture is like is to go talk to a handful of people that work there or even better, some people that don't work there anymore who have quit or mm. been fired and like get that inside scoop. Like that's even better. Um, but if you know, I'll see people ask the question, like, what's the culture like at the end of the interview? And this person's currently representing the company and being paid by the company to represent the company. They're not going to say it's a crappy culture. They're going to go, it's amazing. And I've had so many people that I've worked with who have been on the hiring side who are like, oh, if I could just tell this person to run, oh my gosh. But I can't say that in the interview. I have to just interview them because that's my job. And it's just Mm. like, oh my goodness, it's weird to be in this like coaching position and like be kind of separate from it and see Mm. the whole picture of, of how hard it can be for folks. Um, and maybe this is a good time to just break down like the nitty gritty of the job search. What are, what are some of the things that people should know about the job search process that maybe aren't as obvious, um, to an outsider to someone that's just starting their job search like what are some of the things the assumptions that people have that are incorrect or the hidden details that maybe they wouldn't know about if they weren't as close to it? what are the things that you see that would be the most helpful for someone who's just starting up their job search to to understand so that they don't go in with maybe the wrong expectations
0: oh absolutely um that the job description is a wish list <laughs> you don't have to hit 100% or even 80% if you are vibing with the company you think that you would like it or be a good fit apply anyway uh for sure that is i think number 1 then number 2 is also speculative uh applications work as well but spend time on establishing a relationship with people um maybe if the company has a podcast or their newsletter or something or linkedin commenting on people you know start building up relationships that's another thing and so that when you do send a speculative uh cv um that actually will be well received i, I had it before in my quarter-life crisis i mean i became like a professional <laughs> career changer i and i was so persistent as well there were times when i just had it in my head that i'm, I'm going to work for this company and i had sent off a sent off a cv but with a really personal cover letter when i'm like oh, my God, I love the campaign you've done. I love this and this. And, you know, kept on following up with a story or something I thought they found useful. And I had this relationship going with, you know, one of the guys at this company for about a year and a half so that when a position opened up, he was like, finally, he wrote to me, finally, I've got an opportunity for you to come in and work there. You know, having those long term kind of connections uh, is is key, but have fun with it. You're not going to, if it feels like a chore, um, then you're not going to be doing it. So only do that with like two or three companies or brands that you really want to work for. See, so yeah, it's a long term plan. Uh, and the other thing to know is that some jobs aren't on job support because you know the conversation has for example just started in a company about okay let's i think we're going to need to hire someone next year let's see what that looks like and so it's just in conversation form the job description will be out in the following year but if you are talking to your friends in your network you know or colleagues you might find out about that job before it's even up so it's always worth reaching out to your network and saying, I'm looking, or do you know anything? I, we worked with uh, the client I mentioned before, the one that we wanted to leave a job uh, after 20 years. He had an excellent network. And the first uh, six emails that he sent off to his network to say, I'm looking for something out of those six, four of them replied saying, hang on, let's have a call. And then he bought, and then two of them had leads. And then from that, he had interviews in some jobs that weren't even up yet. So it's possible for sure, um, but those three things I think are the main ones.
1: That's incredible, and I, I really appreciate your sort of short-term and long-term focus there. Right? It's like, you know, if if there is a dream job that you want, it's not gonna. You're probably not gonna get it through the job board. You're gonna have to put in some longer-term legwork, while also keeping an open mind to these shorter-term, like. Uh, you know, opportunities that are popping up. And it's, I think it's keeping like that dual approach of like, and again, going back to like keeping an eye on the future while also doing a good job today, being able to balance those two things. And sometimes that's hard and that's where coaching can maybe help give a bit of a, non-biased perspective that isn't your parents and all the baggage that comes with it right and so um I really appreciate you being here today um and sharing these thoughts Dina um how can folks find out more about you your work and anything you have going on
0: yes thank you so much for having me on this um, in your podcast you are such a great listener honestly thank you the therapy side when you bring the therapy and the coaching together when well, that going to be so powerful uh dinagrishin.com, so that's dina d-i-n-a with grishan g-r-i-s-h-i-n, G-R-I-S-H-I-N. oh there that's my uh website and um signing up to my newsletter i think is the number one thing because that's like the most real me i show up for my newsletter all the time i'm also on instagram and linkedin uh linkedin i'm more often i'm there more often instagram yeah i'm still <laughs> I'm a relationship with it so my newsletter is the best place to find me for sure wonderful
1: <laughs> and we will share all those links in the description below so check those out and Dina, thank you for joining us today Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you found this conversation to be helpful, please like and subscribe wherever you are listening. We also appreciate it if you take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help us spread the word and get these ideas out to more job seekers looking to build their careers and improve their lives just like you. If you'd like to learn more about career therapy and see our different coaching options, you can head over to careertherapy.com to learn more thank you again for stopping by. We wish you all the best in the future of your career. Have a good one.